Welcome to Sparks of History, where world history and Jewish history meet. We are very pleased to have with us today award-winning author Susan Ronald. Ms. Ronald's books include Condé Nast, A Dangerous Woman, Hitler's Art Thief, Herod's a Queen. And today we will be discussing the ambassador, Joseph P. Kennedy at the Court of St. James, 1938 to 1940. Uh, Lawrence Lemer, the best-selling author of The Kennedy Women, has acclaimed uh, The Ambassador to be an indispensable book that will change forever the way we think about the Kennedy family. It's a highly researched and entertaining book. Uh, I urge all our listeners and viewers to uh, go on to Amazon, as I did, and, and purchase it. Started. Um, again, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Ronald. Uh, to begin with, a little bit about your background and how you became interested in Joseph P. Kennedy. Okay, well, as you'll hear from the American accent, um, I've, I was born in America and I lived there actually less time than I've now lived in England. Um, I uh, went to university in France um, and uh, the United States, basically coming out with a degree that wasn't worth very much other than the fact that I spoke French. So um, I, of course, started work in uh, for a French company in New York, um, and they had nobody there who could handle whatever it was that they wanted to, to be done. Uh, it was actually part of Air France at the time. It was Meridian Hotels. And basically, I got promoted through the ranks very quickly, and I was in charge of North American Treasury, which got me into corporate finance. That's how I met my husband. And we set up a boutique um, corporate finance company in London. Uh, he's British, I should say, not American. Uh, and um, we worked for over 20 years together. Um, I was mostly in project finance, working for I think it was five British government departments, um, basically trying to find alternate uses for historic properties and putting the funds together for that. So I understand money and the movement of money. Um, all of my books have one common thread running through them. I always wanted to be an author, by the way, but my parents said, you'll never earn a living. It's not as much as corporate finance, but it'll do. Um, and uh, so, but I really, really wanted to write. Um, and I wrote my first book when I was still working full time. Um, and what do we do about that pinging? I can't get it to unping. It's Don't fine. Worry. It's fine. Okay. Just, just continue. It's, it's okay. Um, so um, essentially, uh, I had my dream come true when I started to write full time um, and uh, had got an agent in New York and basically um, had determined I was going to write about the Tudors, believe it or not. Uh, and I wrote about two books on Queen Elizabeth. I was going to write a third one when um, reality took over. I um, was working in corporate finance still uh, for the British government when I came across the Gurlitt treasure trove in a vault in Switzerland. This is 1998. I tried to get my agent to believe me. Nobody believed me. 15 years later, the story broke and that catapulted me into World War II. 
And once I was there, I, I just couldn't resist. Um, there's so many stories that cut across um, my own heritage that cut across the um, the links between America and, and Britain and also the, the disputes between America and Britain. And I just thought I was best placed to write all of these various stories. Um, Joe Kennedy, my interest in Joe Kennedy, actually my interest goes back to believe it or not, the, the famous election between uh, Jack Kennedy and uh, Richard Nixon um, shortly afterwards. Um, <clears throat> now, I was a, a, a very young girl at this point. I mean, very young, growing up in California. But shortly afterwards, I was playing in the woods behind my girlfriend's house with a number of other girls. And I didn't know Richard Nixon was there. And um, he his house was the other side of the woods. And we started to laugh at him, as young girls would do, as young kids would do, say, ha, 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 you lost the election. And he started throwing oranges at us. Okay, big story. The parents got all upset. He had to apologize. Um, but essentially, from that moment, suddenly Jack Kennedy was everything in my brain uh, that was good. And of course, when he was assassinated, I started to look into the family generally. Um, but when I went to write this book, and this this is all of my books have a seed of the next book in them. Uh, when I was writing, uh, believe it or not, Condé Nast, I found that Kennedy was friendly with Condé Nast, which went completely against anything that I had believed about Nast, because he was absolutely not an anti-Semite. He was not somebody who... Um, uh, took against someone because they were gay. He, he just embraced everybody. Uh, he was really, a, truly a lovely, lovely man. And so I said, well, how could he be friendly with Kennedy? And I was going to write about Joe Winant, who was uh, Kennedy's successor. Um, sorry, John Winant, or Gil, John Gilbert Winant. Um, and then the Kennedy story was just so compelling. Um, I just couldn't believe that a man who had based much of his past on lies and untruths could rise to such an important and exalted station. Um, I've met a lot of very wealthy and um, powerful individuals, but nobody quite like Joe Kennedy. So it just, and, and I wanted to do the this, this small bit of Joe in the UK because it was, it really hadn't been written about, despite all the biographies, there's 17 or 18 other biographies, but no one concentrated on this. So um, that's why I did it. Excellent. Uh, going back a little bit before um, the ambassadorship, what were the early influences that shaped Kennedy? Like a lot of uh, immigrants to America, Joe felt that he was an outsider. Um, unlike a lot of Jewish immigrants to America, there wasn't a question of having to learn a new language or anything like that. But because of his Catholicism and his Irishness, he grew up in East Boston. It was the poorer part of Boston. If you said you were from Noddle Island, which is what it was called at the time, everybody knew that, you know, you were not a Boston Brahmin. Um, and so he grew up with a massive chip on his shoulder because of this, because he always believed that he, Joseph P. Kennedy, belonged at the master's table. And I suppose in some ways his father was responsible for that. Because his father was nothing more than a saloon keeper, really. 
but he did run for public office. He did take public office. He wasn't mayor, but he was able to be a state senator and, and, and all of that. Um, but Joe always said his father was excluded from politics. And he had this chip that said, I was excluded from this. I was excluded from that. Um, and his relationship with his father was actually the, the driving force behind his trying to become really, I suppose it's, it's, it's the best that America had to offer. Um, when his son, Joe Jr. was born, his father-in-law, um, Honey Fitz, who was such a character, he was really unbelievable, but he also had political office. Um, Honey Fitz and Joe's father cooed over uh, Joe Jr.'s crib and they said that he's going to be the first Catholic president. And Joe knew that had to be the dream. Um, I think he had it before the grandparents actually said it. Um, it had been decided that the Kennedy name would be bigger and better than the name of Adams, John Adams and John Quincy Adams in Boston. And so those were the main driving forces. His his ability, though, to uh, reinvent his past was unsurpassed, I think, by anybody else in the family. He was he was quite amazing in that way. I mean, I, I, you have to admire a good liar when you see one. How did Kennedy make his vast fortune? Okay, well, I think first it's important to understand that his father made a lot of money out of being a ward to boss in, in East Boston. And when I say a lot of money, they rose from poverty to being middle class. They sent, he sent Joe to Protestant schools. Joe went on to Harvard, which is really Protestant school as well at the time. And um, he made connections at Harvard with the Boston Brahmins, people of money who had money. Um, his father, through his work as a Ward II boss, had this tiny, tiny bank called Columbia Trust. And he made Joe its president. And Joe brought his Harvard buddies into Columbia Trust to grow the business. Um, he was extremely numerate. He understood everything through a lens of economics. He did not understand nuance at all. He didn't understand anything to do with um, rights of citizens or, or, or anything like that. Everything was economics. So from that very small beginning, he then began, began to work for uh, Galen Stone, who were Wall Street brokers. He made an absolute killing on Wall Street long before the crash. He got out two years before the crash and went to Hollywood because he thought talkies, 1927, was going to be the next great thing. So he cozied up to the biggest Hollywood star around, who at the time was Gloria Swanson. They became lovers. He ran her company. He bankrupted her, <laughs> but he, he went away with millions. And how he made his money, that first tranche of really big money was, was obviously the stock market. But then it was Hollywood when it was going to talkies and he was a big film producer. But the money that he made was through uh, the mergers of companies. Um, and he became involved with Pathé and RKO and, and really made a huge amount of money with that. Then his third fortune uh, came from whiskey. And that was in 1932 when he backed Roosevelt. He backed Roosevelt for a reason, became friendly with Jimmy Roosevelt. And there's a whole 
big story about that in the book. Um, but he, he, that's, he knew that Roosevelt wanted to um, quash the uh, prohibition um, legislation. And so he actually was importing whiskey to America before that had been, uh, that had been done. But, uh, and obviously because it involved Jimmy Roosevelt, it was quite embarrassing. But he, he was earning about a million dollars a year from that business. So that's three fortunes. <laughs> what was uh, Kennedy's early relationship like with Franklin Roosevelt? Roosevelt was just an absolutely fascinating man. I don't think that there is anybody, another president who was the right man for the right time in history, as much as Roosevelt was. Um, he he had originally approached Kennedy, believe it or not, as a campaign uh, contributor in 1928 against Hoover. And Kennedy did contribute and, and helped out a bit. But by 1932, obviously, with the Jimmy Roosevelt connection, um, they had become a little bit closer. But what he was especially good at was raising money for the Roosevelt 1932 campaign. And uh, he did it. He was amazing. He got Republicans to donate to Roosevelt. He got everybody that he that he had set out to get as a campaign contributor to to go ahead. Uh, Roosevelt was very thankful. What he wasn't thankful for was Kennedy's political advice, because he, he felt that Kennedy was not on song. He didn't understand that America was in um, dire straits. It needed to have the New Deal, in his opinion. And while Kennedy was not vocally for it, what Roosevelt did is he used Kennedy to try and get the huge uh, big business lobby to be more in favor of it. Now, Kennedy is one of very few big business men who actually said Roosevelt is good for the economy. And because he saw things in economic terms, there were quite a few people who believed him. So that's really what it was based on in the beginning was money. Okay. And why did he eventually appoint him ambassador to England? Yes. This, this comes back to, um, first of all, Kennedy wanted to be ambassador to Great Britain. Uh, he wanted to be ambassador, and, and that was the only job he wanted to take from Roosevelt. He'd already been um, chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission. He then took a demotion to be the, the head of the um, uh, Maritime Commission. Um, but he wanted this, this international job, unelected, because he knew he couldn't win an election uh, on his own. He was too brusque and, and difficult to, for that. Um, and so he thought that by being in the most important, at that time, the most important position overseas, that he would be promoting his son's ability to enter um, politics and that with him there he would be making all the right contacts in all the right places because he saw through Roosevelt that foreign policy actually was uh, the domain of a president not necessarily Congress or the Senate so um, this was his idea Um, Jimmy tried to talk him out of it Jimmy Roosevelt tried to talk him out of it and Roosevelt's the president's first reaction was to laugh so hard he fell out of his wheelchair. Um, and then he, he started to think, actually, Joe Kennedy 
is a dangerous man. He has some very dangerous ideas. Okay. Um, there had been an attempted coup d'etat in 1934, um, which I wrote about in my next book. Um, and um, he thought and the, the coup d'etat was from, uh, believe it or not, business leaders. So he he decided that Joe was starting to make too many waves with too many people. He was grabbing senators and congressmen and whispering in their ears. And the best thing to do, because Joe was actually uh, advocating a an Italian form of fascism for America, which is the corporate state, okay, where where he would be the supremo. <laughs> What a good idea. Let's send him overseas where he won't make trouble with Congress. And so he did. You, you dealt at length with, uh, at the time, Kennedy's relationship with Prime Minister Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. What was Kennedy's relationship like with Winston Churchill? Um, I'm just trying to think of the right word besides terrible. Um, <laughs> frosty would be the best. Um, he never trusted him. He was right in one thing that if there was a war, Churchill wanted America to come in as soon as possible. Um, he felt that Churchill was, as many uh, of the British aristocracy, was a traitor to his class, that he um, was completely wrong about um, Hitler. And Mussolini, especially Mussolini, heaven forbid, because Mussolini was um, very, very beloved by the Vatican at that point. And Joe's one of Joe's biggest contacts was through the Vatican. Um, And so he didn't trust anything Churchill said when Churchill would report something to him. This is before he became prime minister. He would write these long letters to um, Roosevelt saying, no, no, you can't trust this guy. You know, everybody here thinks he's terrible. Chamberlain hates him. That's why he's not in government. To a certain extent was true, okay, that he was reflecting those ideas. But even when he became prime minister, it was, he was the only person who did not write to congratulate him. And the White House had to phone him to say, you must congratulate Churchill on becoming prime minister. So there was a little note in the Churchill archive in Churchill's handwriting saying, Kennedy phone today, congrats. So. Why did Kennedy eventually resign as ambassador or was he really pushed out? Oh, he was, if it had been up to Roosevelt, he would have kept him in place, not because he was doing a good job. He was not. Um, he w- He resigned. Well, actually, he quit um, because he wanted to come back to America to uh, cast his vote and thereby uh, 25 million Catholic votes, he thought, for Wendell Wilkie, who was the Republican um, uh, candidate for for the presidency. It was a controversial and only third term of a president. After that, they changed the rules. So you can only be president for two terms. Um, and and yet, at the end of the day, he didn't cast his vote um, for Wilkie because some sort of a deal was done at the White House on his return. Um, 
it's very easy to say that the State Department had wanted him out of the job for a very long time. But from Roosevelt's point of view, what was so good about Kennedy being um, obstructive and difficult and, and all the other things that he was, was that the president was able to develop a personal relationship with the king, a personal relationship with Churchill, um, long before he became uh, uh, the prime minister, and with a number of other key figures in uh, the Churchill government afterwards. Um, there were, everything went around Kennedy, which is why he fun- finally decided, I'm going to resign and huff. Um, and um, he wasn't recalled. He He was basically forced, well, he he forced himself to resign. There was a letter that he had written um, through uh, Arthur Kroc uh, of the New York Times that was going to be published the day before the election if Roosevelt did not agree to his returning to the United States. And basically it was going to, it was a, a litany of all the terrible things Roosevelt had done to him. <laughs> 